Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Formula One heads into the summer break with its reigning champ and title favourite 80 points ahead of his main rival. Max Verstappen, starting 10th, carved his way through the field. The Red Bull strategists did their bit, and his RB18 was the class of the field. As Lewis Hamilton said afterwards, Max even spun on a greasy track and still finished 10 seconds up the road ahead of second place. Speaking of which, rinse and repeat from last week, Verstappen uh, followed home by two Mercedes, Hamilton and Russell. Two Brits on the podium driving German machinery, although be it Mercedes HPP in Northamptonshire, on a day when Anglo-German sporting rivalry saw England's Lionesses become champions of Europe in a thrilling extra-time winning show of talent from both teams. Turns out, who knew... You haven't got to fall over like you've been shot every five minutes to play the beautiful game. England and Germany's sporting female stars uh, showing how it can be done. And even with W Series over the weekend as well. Let's hope we see uh, some more progression into Formula One from uh, Formula One's female uh, future female stars. Before the race, Leclerc and Sainz weren't worried about George Russell being on pole because they said they had the pace to take care of Mercedes, but they hadn't factored in the fierce opposition that they would face from Czech's notes. Oh, the Ferrari pit wall, it says here. I'm joined by our chief editor, Kevin Turner, Jess McFadden, and at the track again this week, racking up the air miles is Luke Smith. Luke, that was, to me, a masterful drive from Max Verstappen, who looks every bit oven ready for title number two. What do you reckon? Yeah, it is looking that way now, I must say, Martin. I mean, 80 points, as you say, going into the summer break. He could ne- he could miss the triple header and just come back in Singapore and still be leading the World Championship. It's quite a, a uh, daunting preposition that I think everyone has uh, going into the second half of the season. But I think today, again, we saw just why Max Verstappen is, uh, yeah, why, why he is probably the best driver on the grid right now, why he's performing so well. And even in a race where he made uh, a pretty big error, let, let's face it, that's going to cost him a, a perfect 10 on the driver rating sorry for any spoilers but I know uh, uh, F1 editor Matt Q is working on that as we speak uh, and uh, yeah it was that that error 
in the end didn't actually cost him the race win phenomenally it was uh, yeah a really brilliant display by max fought his way from 10th on the grid slowly brought himself back in, into contention the pace was there all along and yeah when we got into sort of the the, the second stint and when he made that switch to the the final set of medium tires that is what clinched it. his pace from there was so so good ferrari definitely played into Red Bull's hands and definitely helped Max win that race because, yeah, they threw away what should have been a definite victory today. Um, But, uh, yeah, I think they... I think Verstappen, again, proved why he is the world champion-elect, why he is the world champion and why Tizer number two is really looking like a formality at this point because he's operating on such a high level right now. Even he can spin, he can qualify 10th and still come back and comfortably win the race. Jess, we saw a brilliant overtake uh, going into turn one from Verstappen for the lead. Just amazing, ultimate car control. How well did you rate his race? Yeah, I think I have to just echo Luke's comments. It was a it was a champion's drive. I think he said on the radio to his engineer GP, he said, we stayed calm and we won the race. And I think that is the epitome of Max Verstappen and Red Bull Racing, at least on his side of the garage. It's very controlled, very determined. We even saw it at the start, you know, he was clearly out of position starting P10 today, but he managed to keep his nose clean, literally and figuratively speaking, um, and just just stuck it where he knew he could. Tire management was A1, strategy was A1, and he's gone from P10 to winning the race, which is just kind of incredible when you consider how competitive Ferrari and Mercedes was looking at least at the start of the uh, the weekend, but that quickly petered out. Um, you know, I know Lewis Hamilton has come out and said if he hadn't had that DRS problem and finished as far back as he had, he had the pace to win the race today, which you would, you know, he was the fastest guy out on track as we, as we, came, as we drew, drew the race to a close. Um, there, I think there is definitely uh, an argument to be had but I don't I know we don't really like to deal in what ifs because anything could have happened uh, had it played out differently but um, yeah Max Verstappen he I, I mean I've been saying it for a little while now I wanted it to not be the case but I don't think Max has a a competitor this year um, in terms of anybody that's going to be looking to challenge him it would take an absolute implosion at Red Bull for him to not walk away as uh, um, the defending champion and and champion again this year. And Kev, you've been critical of Max before, which didn't win you too many Dutch fans, but you were just... You were just saying it as you saw it on our season review podcast at the end of the year. You didn't dispute Max's talent. You had some issues with the way he went racing. Do you think now that he's got that championship under his belt, you've seen him perhaps become more of a, a full package? What did you? How did you rate his race today? Uh, yes, I think he is a more complete package. I mean, my main issue with him in 2021 was the wheel-to-wheel battling with Lewis Hamilton. We've talked about that a lot. And I think he's shown on numerous occasions this year that he is capable of fighting cleanly and, and, and winning and losing equal measure depending on, on the circumstances. Apart from perhaps I think he took liberties with uh, with Mick Schumacher at Silverstone uh, for a championship contender, which which we talked about at the time. Otherwise, now I think he has been very, you know, he's becoming a complete package. But I will just take an issue a little bit with Luke and Jess. Like he still threw it off today and had a spin and on a, in another situation that costs you the win like he's had two mistakes in races this year in Spain and Hungary that would normally would cost you points and it's cost him absolutely zero and the reason it's cost him zero is because of other things going on namely Mercedes still isn't quite quick enough and Ferrari are a shambles on the pit wall um, but that's not Max's fault he's he's delivering I thought was a very cool calculated drive other than that that moment he always looked in control like there, I know the commentary was getting quite excited about Lewis charging up but I don't think there was any ever doubt that Max was going to win it I think you know Lewis second was probably all he was going to get so no he's he, I mean, he's going to win the world championship no question do you think that on a different day on a different corner if he had have spun perhaps into the gravel or hit a wall, taken himself out, uh, people would have been much more critical of his car control. There, I believe he was um, suffering at the time with either a slipping clutch or so he had some technical problems, I think, that were, were, were causing him to change some settings on the wheel. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I think. Um, well, I mean, it was. I thought it was a great recovery. He lost very minimal time. I mean, his car control is fantastic. I mean, remember the very sideways moment in Brazil in 2016, which I don't think many drivers would have, yeah, you know, would have got out of that one uh, at Interlagos. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not. I wouldn't. Don't want to be super critical, but it was not a perfect weekend. And Matthew's right to not give him the ten. I think that this season. 2022 F1 season is more about other teams dropping the ball and Red Bull and Max Verstappen just doing what they know how to do, and that is win and score lots and lots of points. All right. Uh, we will come on to... I think there's going to be a big talking point today. We know it will be Ferrari and self-sabotage. But look, let's talk about the podium a little bit more. Luke, first of all, George Russell, great first pole position for him. And I, I for me... Uh, the first part of the race, really, before he lost the lead, I was kind of wondering whether it would play out to be one of those races where, you know, this circuit track position was everything. You know, if he can just mimic everyone else's pit stops and maybe he can stay ahead and defend, it didn't work out that way. Do you think um, for Mercedes and George Russell, uh, a good or bad result today, not finishing first, but still being on the podium? No, an excellent result. And I think an excellent display from George Russell right the way through the weekend. I don't think there's a lot more he could he could really have done today. I think he, he he played it as well as he could. And he said that when he saw sort of the weather forecast and when he saw that the, some of the other drivers weren't starting on mediums, he was rubbing his hands because... Uh, uh, sorry, when he saw the other drivers were starting on mediums, he was rubbing his hands because he was so uh, sort of... He knew that would play to his advantage. And that's exactly what we saw, that, yeah, he was able to hold that lead well. And it wasn't until Leclerc was able to build up that tyre delta by extending that first in a little bit that he really came under pressure. I thought his defensive moves against Leclerc were absolutely fantastic. It's kind of a known trick in Hungary that if you, uh, yeah, at turn one, you don't need to get the move done there because you'll get another load of DRS going from turn one to turn two. If you then hang it around the outside at turn two, you'll then get the switch back for turn three. And it's it's a move that's been done time and time again. And last year we saw that brilliant fight between Hamilton and Alonso where Alonso was doing so well to cover off that very move. And Russell was doing exactly that against Leclerc. He was defending really, really well. It wasn't until Leclerc got a real big, big lot of momentum coming out of the final corner and was like the battle of the late breakers, a brilliant move into turn one that Russell was finally um, uh, overtaken there. And really, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't think there's much more that Mercedes could have done with George there. I don't think he had the ideal strategy. I think that ideally you wanted to go maybe, yeah, medium, medium, soft and, and finish quickly, which is, is what Lewis did. And that's why he was able to pick George off so easily in the final stint. But uh, no, I think that he can be really proud of his display this weekend. I think that he did everything he could I think he showed that given the right car given the 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 pace being there a little bit more for Mercedes because they're close but they're still not there he's got everything he needs to be an F1 race winner and uh, yeah definitely a performance I think he can be really proud of going into the summer break Excellent Saturday podcast, as always, uh, Luke and yourself, Thank Matthew, you. uh, took care of business yesterday. Still, I would say it's uh, still worth listening to. If you love if you love Formula One and you just want to get under the skin of what's happening, uh, Luke and Matt are at the, were at the you know the event this weekend, and so um, it, it's just good listening. Even if even now now you know the result. Uh, but let me ask you this, Luke: How can Mercedes explain how they can be so slow from one day? and so fast to the next. Can you explain it? Do they know why they were fast when they weren't in the wet? Um, I think it's something they're still trying to really work out with the um, with it because you see they kind of have these massive swings in performance and they go from a Friday saying it's an absolute disaster to then Saturday saying, well, we're quite actually pleased with our performance itself, but the pace absolutely wasn't there. And then come Sunday, yeah, it's, it, it just seems to take another step forward. And this becomes a little bit different where they, they got it good in qualifying. I think Sainz did throw away pole. I think he, he there was a little mistake at turn five that otherwise I think Russell will probably have uh, yeah, not been starting on pole position. But I think, that, I think that's what they're trying to work out with this car. And they've done so much work to try and get to the bottom of its intricacies and solve the bouncing issue and everything like that. And it does seem they're now properly on top of it, which is, uh, which is, which is really, really good. And I think that had, yeah, had Lewis been starting up there as well without the DRS issue, then I think Mercedes, yeah, there's a, a, an even better chance they might have won it because they'd have had yeah, two, two bullets in the gun and, and a chance to maybe split strategies or be a bit more creative. So I think, uh, yeah, they, they need to work it out, basically. They, they clearly got things 
hooks up well. The cooler conditions, I think that definitely sort of worked to them a little bit more and obviously punished Ferraris we'll get on to. But it's uh, it's definitely, it's looking good. I think as they go into the, the rest of the season now, the idea of uh, a, um, a winless Mercedes season or a winless season for Lewis Hamilton, which is something he's never had in his career, is looking increasingly unlikely. Yeah, you said that last week, uh, and I'm glad you're consistent w- with that. And we look forward to uh, when you are uh, proven right. Jess, uh, let's talk a little bit about Mercedes today, because they had some great pace at times. And I don't want to do too much of a kind of halfway mid-season review, because we have got a half-term podcast with you guys coming up in the next couple of weeks, where we'll properly step back and zoom out a little bit. So I do want to talk about, hopefully, this race review, but also with the first half of the season in mind. At one point, obviously, Mercedes were obviously like nowhere do you think there's any chance now with this pace going into the summer break can you see i don't know what the clerk's on 178 sergio perez 173 what's lewis hamilton 146 points i mean can you see those mercedes drivers giving ferrari a run for its money yes if it keeps up like this yes because we know that mercedes when they have everything together make way better strategy calls so if they can get the car set up under control and we're going into more races that arguably would suit Mercedes as we have had the, the, the past few runs um, and races. It's it's a definite possibility that Mercedes could finish higher than Ferrari this, this season, which is mad when you consider where we were at the beginning of the season. They're equal on podiums. They've had they? They've had 11 podiums each this season. Leclerc's got as many podiums as Lewis this season. Isn't on, that just, mad? That's crazy. That is bonkers. And and what? if you look at the the past five races, Hamilton has finished on the podium um, consistently, even e- either P three or P two. So they Mercedes are getting it together, and Ferrari are falling apart at the seams. So if if that trajectory continues, then there is absolutely every chance that Mercedes will pass them in the both drivers and constructors you know it, it's it's so much closer between Mercedes and Ferrari than it is between Ferrari and Red Bull Red Bull are just in a league of their own this season like they've done they've done everything that they needed to do the only I guess question mark is going to be how much of an impact that new FIA directive that comes in um mm. into effect in Spa if that's going to reel in Red Bull now George Russell was you know people were talking in the in the paddock he it's the first time that anybody's ever said um pointedly that that it's going to impact Red Bull and Ferrari he did also say that there's no guarantees that it's going to affect those two teams at all um but it does seem that those are the two teams that well George is 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 inferring that those two teams are are running a slightly um what's the what's the because i mean george is so good at this he he put it so politically correct um in that <laughs> he does he's brilliant they are he said that they are pushing the envelope further than mercedes is mercedes that he says is is you know keeping to the true meaning of the regulations and oh. ferrari and red bull are are finding the gray areas so whether or not they see they are massively impacted come spa that's that's a that's a question mark to be seen but when it comes to pit wall calls, as Kev alluded to earlier, mm. Mercedes don't miss usually, or very rarely miss. So if yeah, if they can if they can bring it to them, if they can, you know, benefit from this technical directive, then I have every impression that they could they could be coming away from this season ahead of Ferrari. Mm. Um, Kev, a word on Mercedes from your your perspective, because we've seen legendary teams as regulations change, uh, fall off and and never really you know come back. We've seen it to a lesser extent uh, with the last regulation change. Uh, what am I thinking of? McLaren was it their uh, 2010 season? 2009. Oh, 2009. Was bad. Um, you know, from but they were they weren't really on a long win running streak it took red bull a while to get back to the front as well and you know there is there was a risk there uh, there still is a risk that mercedes end a legendary era 
and just end up in the midfield and then there's driver changes, staff changes, and then they just kind of falter. That doesn't look like it's happening. It looks like they've almost done the impossible, which is they had a massive mountain to climb and, and, and they appear to be doing it. What's your reading after today on the Mercedes team performance and, and heading into the second half of the season? No, I think it was always going to be temporary. I think if you've got those previous examples, McLaren... Uh, kind of went into a fallow period. It was always going to happen because of the huge fine they had through the whole Spygate scenario. They weren't able to invest in facilities and eventually it caught up with them. Uh, and Red Bull, obviously, for a while had the issue of an engine that was you know, a long way off the pace of Mercedes. So they were very specific things that those teams weren't really in direct control of, whereas Mercedes are in direct control of their problem and they've got... You know, it's still the same, the same core people uh, all the facilities, everything that made them so successful for the last you know decade, that just doesn't vanish overnight. So I don't think it's a surprise that they're getting they're getting back into the swing of it. And I would agree with with Jess that I mean your question was can Mercedes beat Ferrari? Uh, yes, they they can, but they really shouldn't. I mean, what we want that this championship would be better if Ferrari just handed F one seventy fives over to Mercedes at the start of the year. <laughs> we would have had a fantastic championship fight, wouldn't we? Um, because Mercedes have been absolutely on the, on the ball and pushing forward, and Ferrari have had the good car but don't know how to use it. And Red Bull can do both, so that's why they're absolutely miles ahead in the championship. So I know it sounds facetious, but we the reason that today was such a good race is we had three teams in the mix, which is what we always wanted. Uh, you know, that's that's fantastic, and I think the championship is over, but the individual races between now and the end of the season should be should be fantastic because we've got so many cars and drivers coming into the mix. Yeah, there was one point on the Sky commentary today when they said, this is amazing, there's six cars in it. And I thought, no, there's five cars in it because Perez has fallen asleep again. Look, let's talk a little <laughs> bit Let's talk a little bit about Ferrari. I know that's really mean. Um, let, let's talk... Uh, look, Kev, we'll stay with you because, I mean, let's just set fire to this one. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, Ferrari dismissed, to an extent, George's poll and said, we have the, whatever it is, whether we do mediums or whatever strategy we can handle the Mercedes pace and they, they felt so good going in. And, and once again, you know, they, they go into the summer break 30 points ahead of Mercedes in the Constructors Championship, a million miles behind Red Bull. And, and they managed once again to be their wo- own worst enemy. And once again, afterwards, just keep talking about, well, we'll go back and we'll analyse and we did everything right. And they have this sort of supreme self-confidence bordering on delusion from my perspective. Right, oh, Kev, if, we'll, we'll if, crack, sorry, we'll, we'll, if, if Leclerc one more time says we'll come back stronger, yeah. I'm going to lose my mind because well, like, it's just, I mean, I guess I understand that what, what else do you say when you're in that position? I mean, I've never been well, in that position. Well, he was more critical. He was more critical today than I've ever heard him, which is, which I don't understand why we made the decisions today. But even then, that's not exactly a heavy tackle, is it? It, it was just, you know, he was just criticising the team and saying, I want to find out. I don't agree with the decisions. So... Um, but still, more critical than he has been. Um, I don't know. All right, Kev, look, we start, we'll start with you, because I know, oh, I, I know you have a lot to say about this. Well, how, how did Ferrari <laughs> get it so wrong today with the hard tyres that they had to run because you have to run two compounds, but they could see from the Alpines they weren't working. And they hadn't even, had they even run the tyre at any no, time since Friday? they'd not run the hard tyre at any point during the weekend, as far as I understand it. I, it's so frustrating. It sounds like I'm being really critical of Friday, but it's coming from the point of view that that's because we should have a championship fight and they keep messing it up. So my, my alarm bells, my amber alert went off when, <laughs> first of all, Russell made a good start, VSC start, and science was asleep and off went Russell. <laughs> and yeah. you, okay, right, we've made your life a bit more difficult, but fine. And then science didn't really get stuck into Russell. He's struggling a little bit. And there's Leclerc hovering about a second, second and a half. I think, right, okay, at some point, Ferrari need to do that thing that they don't want to do this year, which is get onto their number two, which is what science is, get him out of the way, get Leclerc, have a go at Russell. They didn't do that, but they did at least contrive to mess up science's pit stop enough <laughs> so, that when Le- so that when Leclerc came in and came back out, he was the lead for Ice. Okay, so it's probably not the way they planned it, but they've got the Ferraris in the right order. Leclerc does what he does, better race pace than science, cruises up to Russell, finds a way past, in the lead, starts going away. You think, right, despite Ferrari's best efforts, Leclerc's in the lead, here we go. <laughs> this is the win that they should have had from the start of the weekend, given their pace. And then... Oh, the the, where, the moment they put the hard tyres on, they can't be putting the hard tyres on. I mean, I know it's very easy to sound clever in hindsight, but you, you didn't need hindsight. As he was rolling down the pit lane, I said in my lounge, 
they have just lost the race for Leclerc. I mean, I wasn't expecting him to end up sixth. Uh, that was bad, but it was just catastrophic. Uh, you'd already seen how bad the Alpines had been. Magnussen had struggled on the tyre. Ferrari had no experience with that tyre at all. I know that their argument was... Uh, obviously the soft, it was too early to go on to the soft. Oh, uh, and the medium that we thought the hold was better over the longer run. Leave him out then. Do mm-hmm. like go go do anything. Put him on the soft and bring him in again later. Leave him out long and put him on the soft at the end, which of course is what Lewis Hamilton did to come through to second. Like basically do anything except put him on the pointless <laughs> tyre. Uh, and you just, you've got, I, I, honestly, I, I, it was just absolutely astonishing. And I know, I, I know it does sound like hindsight, but I, I think, I think we were all looking at our TV screens or monitors at the track, wherever we were, going, hey, have they just got the wrong ones out of the garage? I just, yeah. I, I mean, if I, it's got to the point now where I think if I were Charles, I would probably go a little bit sort of Ayrton Senna, Mark Schumacher on their ass, and basically, I'm staying out, chaps. So I'm not coming in and putting the hard tyres on. You have another think about it and get back to me when you've come up with a sensible strategy, and I'm <laughs> going to keep going around until you can. Because, but I heard that, so that was on the commentary as well. They were, you know, they were saying, um, at what point does the clerk just go, I know better than you and and start making those tough calls? Because he did say, he was like, I'm so confused. I told them I want to stay on the mediums. These feel good. I, I want to, I, I need to stay on this compound. But at the same time, like he's eventually got to pit. And if they, if, if he comes <laughs> into pit and there are white, well, tires. Like, what's he going to do? Like, literally get it's, out the car in protest? I don't know. Maybe do, that would have been no, better. No, do the tire stop himself? Go. No, not these <laughs> Absolutely ones. Absolutely not. No, no, I mean, obviously, obviously, being yeah, being facetious about it. But I think actually, Martin touched upon a, a, a major point just now. Is that they don't? I mean, maybe they're having better conversations internally, but certainly public, they're just going, yeah, no, we, this is why we did it, and it's fine. You know, but it's not fine, is it? You no. had a car that's been quickest all weekend that started second and third, and you'd overtaken the car that that was ahead of you on the grid and you turned it into a sixth place and your championship rival with a car that's roughly the same pace as you has gone from 10th to the win. Like that can't yeah. be fine, can it? Something is not right there. The, the scariest thing I found was when Bonotto basically said, yes, it's going to take us um, some hours, some days to work out what went wrong. Um, no, we can tell you what went wrong from, from the very yeah. beginning. You, it, you, you put, As Kev said, you put him on a tyre, you had no data on, in flipping cold cold scenario where you where you, you you were seemingly you didn't have as much pace as you had done in in the rest of the weekend because the temperatures had dropped and you couldn't get the tires to run like it's what i don't know i don't understand i mean i i really want them to come out with like a full on debrief about what happened because i think we're all still here scratching our heads as to what strategists do you have that would think that that was a good call because I mean, again, like we're all we're all doing this from our, our armchairs or Luke from trackside. Mm. So, granted, he's a bit closer than we are. But as soon, I think as we've as we've all touched on, as soon as those tires came out of the blankets, we were like, "All right, well, he's lost now." So, you know, what? Why is it going to take them hours and days? Other than if it's to talk about the the pace issues that they seemingly had in the cold conditions, but. You know, we're heading to Spa, which is not going to be warm. Uh, if you've ever mm. been to Spa, it's bloody cold and <laughs> rainy, and you know. So, so if that if that's what they need to scratch their heads over, fine. But I do think, like, you know, I think we're all going to get we're all getting a bit tired of what else does Bonotto do? I guess is the argument, in, other than try and cover their tracks. But it's not it's not good. It's not a good look, considering. He, he came over under a lot of scrutiny in previous seasons over the management of the team and the results they were getting. They're finally in a position where they could have challenged for this this season and they've they've thrown it all away. They've fumbled this entire season and they have arguably the one of the best, if not second best, driver lineups on the grid. So, mm. you know, what 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 else do they need? It's so frustrating, isn't it? Because, I mean, Bonotto, I think, is actually quite a likeable character in many ways. And what he's achieved in the last couple of years, if you think, you know, you've got to remember where Ferrari was in 2020, it was, you know, in disarray. You know, it was sixth. 
and struggling in the midfield and didn't look anywhere near like winning a race. So to come that far in that amount of time is is fantastic. But there's got to be a point where you just go, even if it's not in public, you go, right, come on, we've, we, whatever our processes are to work this out, they are not working. We need to do we need to do something else. You know, he said after the French Grand Prix, there's no reason why we can't win the next 10 races. Well, there is. There's one very good reason, and that's your pit wall. Like you're not cool. <laughs> but honestly, that is what, you know, what yes. more, the number of times, times Leclerc has got himself into, you know, into a winning position and it's been thrown away. And okay, yes, I know that he made the mistake at Imola and he also made the mistake, obviously, last time out in France, which was a, which was a big one for him. But, but if you, <laughs> I've lost count now. I think a couple of podcasts ago, I gave you a number, Martin, how many points mm. for I've cost it. I've literally lost count now. It's into three figures. So the 32 points that Leclerc has lost his own driving pales into insignificance, really. I think it was, maybe it was 50 and you corrected me like, no, it's 60 at the time. And it was it was because I was missing stuff. Uh, but you broke it down. You went through each each example of how they have cost themselves points or Leclerc has cost himself points. And I guess I guess, Kev, the frustration is that the car is really good and the car, particularly in Leclerc's hands. And that's not to say science has been doing a bad job and actually science has been more punchy on the radio than Leclerc over the t- last two mm. weeks to go no hang on a minute that's that that's a bad decision think again or at least you know science has done that which Leclerc hasn't been or we, or we haven't heard those radio calls uh, at least but I guess the frustration must must be that that is it's a genuinely quick car and at most tracks if you look at the 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 offset it's been you know albeit in the thousands of the second but quicker than the Red Bull in ideal conditions. So it's it's all about execution. They've finally built a great car. They've developed it as well. Like one of the question marks we had, we did a piece at the start of the year when it became clear after testing that Ferrari had got a good basic car. You know, can they develop it? And actually, I think their sort of design strategy has been very good. They decided to stick with the car that they knew through testing. They brought that into the first few rounds. They nailed the results when they could, while Red Bull had a few reliability problems, built up a big lead. Then they did start throwing developments on, obviously, the rear wing at Canada, which made uh, Leclerc very quick. And they have been basically quick at every race. And I think we're going to have, we're going to get to the end of the season. It's going to be one of those years where we're probably going to have more good and great races than we've had for many a season. Lots of good individual fights because the cars are close. And then you look at the challenge points and go, hey, that that doesn't, it looks like a, a Red Bull walkover, but it isn't in terms of pace. It's nip and tuck. But as you say, it's all about the execution, which is what brings me back to the, please hand the Ferraris over to Mercedes and let them run them. <laughs> Right. Okay. Now, listen. I want to. Luke has been very patient and listened to all of this, and I do feel because it is hard. You know, we uh, we commentate on the action, but Alex and Luke and Matt do have are in the paddock every weekend, and you are in press conferences or whatever, looking these people in the eye. So I'm I'm not asking you to go hard hard in on them unless no, you want Luke. to because you because you have rela- you know ultimately you have relationships. You do, but but yeah, but but that should never. It should never de- like pull away from our journalistic integrity, and I know it's a. I get I know what it you mean, but yeah. But you are still, you know, yeah. you, you know, you you are a nice person, and you have to go and <laughs> you, work with these people. With these people, he's a so, lovely man. You know, you've heard Jess say that at some point the drivers have got to almost take control of this. You know, you've heard 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 Kev saying put him on anything but hards, <laughs> whether it's because you know run medium, soft, soft, because Lewis was one and a half seconds quicker uh, than those ahead who were managing tires. You know, could they have done a dash with two? Uh, you know, done a three-stop. Okay, Luke, here we go. Why on earth did Ferrari get it this wrong with the hard tyres? Because they relied on their simulations and their data as opposed to the real-world situation and what was actually happening and their instincts. And that was the big difference today between Ferrari and Red Bull. And so, I mean, if we wind it back to middle of the race, Leclerc's passed Russell, Science is closing down on Russell, Ferrari looking pretty good for a one-two finish at that point. The difficulty there for Ferrari was that because they'd started the race on mediums and then gone for another set of mediums at at their first pit stop, they had to go for either softs or hards because, as per the rules, you have to use two different tyre compounds in a race. That's just how it is. So then they basically did face a bit of a a position where they said, well, do we want to extend that medium stint out longer and then we go on to soft for the final stint which is what they ultimately did with science or do we go for the hard tire now Verstappen pitted at the end of lap 38 and that 
that I think scared Ferrari a little bit because they saw his pace, they saw how close he was getting, and they thought we need to cover him off with Charles because Charles is the man fighting Max for the world championship. So they responded one lap later, brought him in at the end of lap thirty nine, and that 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 was where the race was lost. And at that point. They had 31 laps to make to the finish on a set of tyres, so obviously you had to go for the hearts. Their data, they looked at that point, and Mattia Bonotto explained this afterwards. He said that they knew that it would be a tricky sort of warm-up phase and everything with the hard tyre. It would be difficult for them to get it into the right window. So it might, for a couple of laps, be quite difficult. He then said there was predicted to be a 10 to 11 lap stint where the hard tyre would be slower than the medium. So it would place the advantage of, of Verstappen of Russell around them who are already on the medium compound tyre. But after that, the hard would be the quicker tyre. So you've got 11 laps of, yeah, a bit, a bit of short-term pain, hopefully try and keep that, uh, that track position. But then afterwards, you, you've got the better tyre to get you to the end of the race. So they rely completely on their numbers. But what they didn't do was look at what, other teams are done with the hard tyre. As early as lap six, Kevin Magnussen for Haas came into the pits, put on the hards, and it was it was nowhere, absolutely nowhere. It was so clear just how bad those tyres were. Magnussen, uh, Mick Schumacher's teammate, both did that. You saw Alpine, they put Alonso and Ocon on two hards because they wanted to go for a one-stop strategy. In their defence, it did work, but only just. Like They nearly got beaten by an Aston Martin, which is like, crazy given they'd locked out the third row of the grid and it was quite clear just how poor those tyres were like losing so much time in the early part of that stint you saw Ricardo squeeze past both of the Alpines while they were squabbling but again he had a much quicker tyre Bonotto said that he was asked did you not like see what Alpine had done and think oh we better avoid that and he said yeah we always look at what's going on like the strategy's never written in stone but I don't I don't buy that because you hear Ferrari always saying oh you're on to plan A, B, C, D, E and it goes right the way through and there just doesn't seem to be that kind of flexibility that I think it was quite clear that if you go onto the hards you're going to be in a world of trouble and I, it was just a massive, massive own goal. And Kev, I think you got it absolutely spot on. Just put anything but the hard compound tyre on there because it was clear what was going to happen. And um, particularly when they were so close in terms of track position, that warm-up phase was always going to be costly. And it was. Leclerc was munched by Verstappen in, in what, a lap? And then Verstappen spun and then re-overtook him. So it was it was pretty, pr- pretty crazy seeing what was going on there. And what for me was even more telling was the fact that Red Bull had actually planned to start Verstappen on hearts they were going to do that but on the laps to the grid we saw Verstappen go a little bit wide at turn two similar to how he did in his uh, first lap in Q3 on a set of softs and he said to the team that didn't feel very good there's not much grip out there let's and that was on a set of softs so let's maybe rethink starting on hearts they were like yep absolutely changed the strategy completely and won in the race because they trusted their driver they trusted gut instinct they didn't say well no the numbers say this therefore that's what we do there was actually a bit more sort of human thought going into it so yeah i think it was it it was a massive massive own goal from ferrari and matteo bonotto said after the race that this was the first race all season. They didn't stand a chance of winning because the cool conditions played against the car. The pace was no good. Science, the fact that he did run uh, that medium stint longer for the second stint and then went onto the softs at the end and still didn't finish on the podium proved it. But actually, you still need to maximise points. Red Bull in Austria, they they didn't have the quickest car. They weren't able to match what the Ferrari did in the race. Verstappen still came away second. He only lost seven points to Leclerc. Instead, Ferrari have lost so much ground today. And I just think they need to be more, they need to look at what they're doing. They need to be more flexible and trust their drivers. If Charles is saying, stay, like, keep me out on the mediums, keep him out on the mediums. If he if he loses it, that's on him. But it just seemed like they just were too reliant on numbers and simulations as opposed to actual feedback and real world experience. And do you know what that reminds me of actually, ironically, 1998 Hungarian Grand Prix when it was the other way around, when McLaren you felt that we're in a period where they were just always going by the numbers and I put it into the machine and this tells me what I must do and Ross Braun goes we need some clean air Michael I'm bringing you in you're going on a three stop I do uh, can you 20 odd qualify laps please and McLaren got themselves all all knickers in the twist brought the cars in the wrong order had a bad stop didn't get Mika out the way when David Coulthard had more pace and managed to get both their cars behind and Michael took one of his great wins because it was flexible and it's agile and it's responding to the situations and that's what 
uh, you know, as Luke says, that's what Red Bull do so well. And they have done for years, you know, look at effectively, I don't know if there's deliberate or not, but, you know, using Mark Webber as the bait at Abu Dhabi in 2010 so that Vettel could win the World Championship and that sort of thing. They're just really hot on that sort of thing. And Ferrari have got to, you know, they've got, that's that's the biggest difference between the two teams. You know, they've got a great drive line, they've got a great car. Yes, I think it's probably fair to say they weren't as quick on race day, certainly with the soft, as everyone expected, but... Yeah, they should have. They should have finished much higher. You know, the clerk should have been ahead of science, so he'd have been at least fourth, perhaps third, uh, at worst. I'd have said. Um, Red Bull always give credit to their strategy, senior strategy engineer Hannah Schmitz, and and give her the leeway to make decisions and stand by the decisions you made. Aston Martin gave a really big shout out to Bernie Collins. It was her last race on the pit wall. She was the head of race strategy at Aston Martin. Um, and again, giving credit to uh, to both of these women who are given you know that responsibility to make a human call on strategy when, when, when they need to. Um, Jess, do Ferrari need to make some personnel changes? Not right now. I only say not right now because I just don't see how that's going to help. Like the one thing that you need to do is 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 gain some stability and control over what it is that you do have, I would say. Um, if I was team principal, which I've never been <laughs> one uh, yet. Um, but I think uh, that's probably shouting way above my, uh, <laughs> my I level. I thought you were going to be our driver, Jess. I thought Team Autosport, I thought you were going to be... Well, Kev, gonna uh, be a driver. Ju- just, just saying, um, we did we did give a brief little sneak peek of, of a part of my onboard from the Skip Barber Racing School that I did in a Formula 4 car. We showed it to Ricardo and Lando Norris and uh, they were pretty impressed with my moves. So what can I say? Maybe I will be uh, racing. Yeah, but what do they think of your driving? <laughs> uh, apparently it wasn't too bad. Um, I don't know. We're, we're gonna get, we'll get on to McLaren's drivers we, in a minute. I mean, yeah, yes, absolutely. I think, yeah, if, yeah. If, you had, if you had a papaya race suit handy, I mean, Lando needs a teammate. But anyway, we'll get on to that in, oh, in a yikes. little bit. So, but, you know, th- this You're is just the, trying to suck everyone, Martin. This is, well, look, this is, uh, what's going on? This is the football thing, right? This is the football thing. Uh, Norwich, and, you know, although my voice might not sound like I'm from there, right? all my family are from East Anglia. I don't talk like that anymore. I'm born and bred East Anglia, right? Norwich. So my team got promoted by a manager to the Premier League. Uh, he did an amazing job for years at Norwich City. Uh, and then the minute we didn't play well, all of my you know friends, family got season tickets. Oh, sack the manager, sack the manager. And and so we did and got a new manager in and still got relegated and have had a terrible yeah. start to life in the championship. Sometimes changing management doesn't need to. Agreed. I, I say that because everyone's got a boss. And if you are Bonotto's boss... He's got a boss, or you know, or she's got a boss, or whether it's the board. And sometimes, you know, it's kill or be killed. People make management changes, and then, oh, hey, I've sacked this person. We have a new person in charge. It's all going to be okay. I don't think that works. I was just kind of putting it out there, you know, because I think stick with what you know. I really rate Matteo Bonotto because they've built a great car. Something something has to change, yeah, and, and it's unlikely to be the fault of one or two people. It's just exactly. you know a systemic thing and a, an approach that they need to look at as a whole. I think going going round and, and replacing people, and as Jess says, yeah, you want continuity, don't you? Changing mid season, I mean, that's surely the one way to just make things even. That way, Mercedes would beat them, I suspect. So now they need to go over the summer break and get everyone together and go right. No, we're not blaming anyone here, but what what do we need to do differently so that we don't keep turning front row starts into you know fourth, fifth, sixth places? Yeah, they need they need a, they need a they need a they need a halftime pep talk, right? Like uh, <laughs> we have, we need to lose, and because it, it's so much about this is a psychological game, right? I think we we, do, we really do underestimate just how much, and by we I just mean collectively, we not not just us on the podcast, but um, collectively, like. So much about this is a mental game. So much about this is to do with momentum. And they're going to want to shake off the past few races um, and come out into the second half of the season, even though we're technically already over halfway through, um, in terms of use the summer break to reset, collect, and come into the, the, the next half of the season with a renewed mindset. Now, how much you can do, obviously, they're super, as most people on, who are listening to this podcast will know, summer break is, rules are really strict and they can't really do much over the, the next three and a bit weeks. But um, it, they, need to, they need to have a bit of a psychological reset and shake off some of the gremlins and see how they, as, as, as Kev said, try and just pull it together and 
just just try and get a grip on some of the things that have caused them to to make silly silly just de- arguably silly decisions and that was something Matteo Bonotto was asked about after the race do you need to make any changes over the summer or anything like that has it just been bad luck and he said I don't see the need to make any changes but also I don't believe in bad luck like, I don't see it as just being things going against us so I think that Ferrari are going to keep on with this until the end of the season certainly I think that as you guys both said rocking the ship now doesn't really solve anything so it's not really it's a bit of a hiding to nothing but I think that if they get to the end of the season if they finish third in what was really a two-horse race I mean that's uh you've really got to look at what's gone wrong where were the mistakes made what do we need to change but I think that yeah there needs to I think there also needs to be a bit of sort of accountability and acceptance like it's all as as I said look at Red Bull in Austria and Carlos Sainz actually referred to this. He was like, oh, people didn't see Red Bull not win the race in Austria and say, oh, like, what's wrong at Red Bull? What can change? No, but Red Bull did maximise the result that they got. They could do that day. And the car wasn't quick enough to win the race and they still finished second. Ferrari, even if the car wasn't quick enough to win the race today, they should have been on the podium. That was not the third quickest car today. Like, they should have been up there. They there's no way you go from potentially sitting one two, but like and being one three literally on track halfway through the race to then finishing fourth and sixth. Like it just doesn't work like that. So I think they uh, they've got a lot of soul searching to do. I think over the summer, and yeah, Bonotto said this was the first race of the year where they didn't have the pace to win. He said, and it's the first time we've got to work out why that was. Fine, but also from the other twelve races, you've not won a lot of them. You've won what four? five races four races so far this season that's not a good return that's half as many as max has won alone i feel that we should probably i forget sometimes that our our listeners listen to the podcast for a debrief having not actually seen the race on tv yet or watched a replay so i feel like i should run down the order max verstappen lewis hamilton george russell have talked about carlos Sainz in the first ferrari even though we focused a lot on charles leclerc uh, sergio perez in fifth charles leclerc sixth coming home a minute behind all of those, more than a minute. Lando Norris in seventh. The two Alpines, Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon in ninth. Sebastian Vettel picking up the last world championship point in tenth ahead of teammate Lance Stroll. What does it do to the standings? Max Verstappen goes into the summer break. And and, and also, people keep talking about, oh, we're halfway. We are way over halfway, by the way. Uh, there is much less of the season to go than we've had. Max Verstappen, uh, 258 points. Charles Leclerc, 178 points. Sergio Perez, 100. 73. George Russell, 158. Carlos Sainz, 156. And then Lewis Hamilton on 146. And in terms of the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull Racing uh, with 431. As I mentioned, Ferrari, 334. 30 points ahead of Mercedes, 304. Then the Alpine-McLaren battle. Let's get on to that now. At 99 points, Alpine plays McLaren, 95. Let's uh, talk about uh, this. Uh, Luke, I'll stay with you, actually, as we, as we work our way down a little bit. Lando Norris said uh, this weekend, his job is to beat the Alpines. And job done. Unfortunately, it's McLaren's job to beat the Alpines. Job not done. Lando in seventh, Fernando and Esteban Ocon uh, in eighth and ninth. Uh, You touched on it, but they did suffer those hard tyres and had some intra-team battles we saw as well, but still came through to score some points, largely because Daniel Ricciardo couldn't. Again, what are you making of that really thrilling battle between McLaren and Alpine, Luke? It's it's really interesting. I'm I'm really enjoying it. And I like the fact that they've gone down such different routes in terms of their development. Alpine have kind of gone for the um, small but regular updates, whereas McLaren are saying, right, we're going to do yeah, big package in Spain. They brought a big package to France, and they, they do it in bigger chunks, basically to try and take that step forward. But it does seem to swing back and forth between them and. Yesterday, Norris out-qualified them and he said that, yeah, like I feel that our Saturday base kind of masks the gap a little bit and Alpine are quicker over the race. And, and we saw them make a, a good start. But then there was that very close moment between Ocon and Alonso at Turn 1 and Alonso was right over the radio saying that, oh, I've, I've never seen a guy defend like Esteban. Asked him about it after the race and he said that it was a pretty extreme move. And if you look at the uh, onboards that I think are floating around on Twitter, yeah, it was a real like chop across. Uh, no, you're not coming past me, which with your teammate, it's not really the, the best approach. But but Alonso said, he's like, I do that sometimes. And he said, we've never crashed and we never will. Let's see how that ages. But it was a, it was a really interesting. Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, yeah, it's interesting. That was maybe a little bit of uh, Ocon sort of saying, well, no, no, this is 
this is mine. I'm ha- I'm having this. They were running very close together um, when Ricardo managed to sweep past both of them in the space of two corners. Fernando was like, oh, well, Ricardo's on a different tyre, so it doesn't really matter. And I was like, mm, I'm not really sure about that. But what hurt them was, yeah, it was the hards. Like, okay, they made it work on a one stop. Fair enough. They got some points, but they were miles away from Lando in the end. And Vettel reckons had he had uh, an- another lap or had he had um, without that virtual safety car at the end, he reckons he'd have got Ocon. You shouldn't be beaten by an Aston Martin if you're locking out the the third row of the grid. So, yeah, I think that it was an an interesting one. I think that, yeah, they came away with the same amount of points. That's kept that battle nice and alive. But I think for McLaren, it was a a missed opportunity with Ricardo, who I actually thought was driving a pretty good race up until, uh, yeah, he kind of faded a little bit through, through the middle. And then they put him on a set of hards, which hurt on Norris, but he was already far enough up the road that he could kind of get to the end. He said, it, you may as well have put on a set of wets, which again is indicative of the, the thing that Ferrari didn't see. But uh, yeah, Ricardo was in the same boat. He was fighting with Lance Stroll, who actually had a, a pretty good race to, to give Lance some credit. And uh, yeah, then biffed into the side of him, picked up a five second time penalty. And, and that, that was kind of that. And it was uh, a shame that again, a race that had a lot of potential and looked like it was going to be a decent score. We saw a bit of him getting excited on the radio when he got both the Alpines ended up with yeah another pretty lowly finish so I think we talk about sort of soul searching and stuff over the summer break Ricardo definitely needs some of that because McLaren if they're fighting against Alpine they need both cars to be up there and for Ricardo at the moment it's just not quite clicking and working. Jess, you missed, uh, uh, well, you weren't on, uh, you may have heard it, uh, the Friday podcast. We talked about Sebastian Vettel, we had a Vettel podcast on Friday. And I went into that asking Kev and Alex, you know, who, you know, the, the, the world is their oyster at Aston Martin. You know, they're, 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 they're big enough to get a big driver. Uh, they've got development going on. They can say they're building for the future, et cetera, et cetera. Both Kev and Alex made a pretty compelling case for Aston needing a race winner, a famous name, rather than having two junior drivers, and Daniel Ricciardo ticks lots of boxes. And I came out of that podcast being like, ah, yeah, maybe. Hey, is now the time to say Daniel Ricciardo's a great driver, but for whatever reason, it hasn't clicked in this McLaren. Sign that Aston Martin contract for next year or see out the contract he's got for 2023. What do you reckon? I reckon he stays. I understand why people are saying that maybe a move for Ricciardo to Aston would be interesting um but i i mean for him that's a backward step i know he's not getting the results but his teammate is clearly showing where the mclaren can finish and as we've touched on there's a good old ding dong between mclaren and alpine at the moment yeah okay if you can't get on with your with the car you're fundamentally going to be hamstrung as a driver but again as we touched on with I just don't think it's time to mess around. I think I think the, the best thing to do would be to finish out with McLaren. Um, where he then goes, if it still doesn't work out, that would be a massive question mark. I think, to be honest, he's he'll have run his time in F1. Mm. Um, mm. There's not really many other places that he can go. He He's probably one of the drivers that's jumped to more teams and manufacturers than any other driver on the grid, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's not, he's, you know, he's had a bit of a torrid time when it comes to, to team jumps, but I think, I think, I think McLaren, McLaren should stick it out with him. Ricardo should stick it out with McLaren, see out the season, maybe, you know, over the winter break, they can try and look to work together. It's, it is a bit of a two-way street. I mean, after a certain point, you do think it is maybe more on the driver than it is on the team. Um, especially when you do have someone like Lando Norris that is just consistently putting in drives that you would expect that car to deliver and and overachieving and in the same breath. So I don't I don't think that Aston seat is a good seat for for Daniel. To be honest, I think I mean maybe it would be his only his hail mary, like the only place that he could go. But I I personally think that would be a bad move for him. I, I I think I've not, as you said, I've, I've not quite heard all the arguments that the guys maybe made on Friday, but I just don't think that that is a, that would not be a good move in my head for Daniel to, to go to Aston. 
Dare I also say it may not actually be a good move for Aston Martin either. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was talking to sort of talking to a few few people here here and there, and sort of like, uh, yeah, pad- paddock chinwags as we tend to have throughout the weekend. And I was talking about uh, sort of driver market permutations and things like that. And someone said to me, they were like, "But you look at Aston Martin as a brand. What what do they want? They want sort of like someone very sort of like well polished. It's very sort of like uh, prim and proper is maybe the wrong way to put it, but someone who brings a little bit of." Um, a little bit of sparkle, but is also very much like, yeah, you you would say, look, if we want to do a thing around Bond, how can we do it? Because that's our other big sort of like asset, basically. Does Daniel Ricciardo really fit that? Like, we love Daniel Ricciardo. We love that he's like a cheeky character. He's a fun guy and he's fantastic. Got so much personality. But does that really fit with Aston Martin and what they've got in that F1 team? I'm not so sure. So it's uh, it's an interesting one, but I think that, that seat is going to be key to the market now, as is Daniel's future. But I'm on exactly the same page as Jess. I think you see it out. You see you see through to the end of 23 and then look at what happens there. If it's not worked after three years, it's not going to work. But Daniel, I think he's I think he's in a reasonably good place, all things considered. Like I had a really good chat with him on Friday in Hungary and we're going to have the interview and everything on Autosport over the summer break. And he said that last year, like he just felt like he just needs to get away from it all and just like switch off from F1 for a bit going into the summer. And he said this year, I'm not in a similar kind of desperation for it. Obviously I want a break, but I'm not like in a position where I've got to go away and just not think about racing for, for four weeks. So it's uh, it's an interesting one, but yeah, I think let's keep an eye on that move for the driver market. I think those are the two things. What do McLaren do with Ricardo and who goes to Aston Martin? Are they going to be linked? Let's see. But to me, I think, yeah, keep it as it is because I don't actually think McLaren have got many better options right now either. Well, they're, co- know, they're, they're collecting racing drivers, aren't they, at the moment? <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, they've got so <laughs> they, many like, they li- they so literally many got, drivers. They've they got, to, got to catch them all. Like, they I don't, do, I, but, I mean, they've but got, where, not, they've not they got enough seats. Exactly, they've yeah, not got exactly, enough seats. Yeah. They, they've got um, like one of them in, in legal battles over an IndyCar, but with all respect to the guy in Indy, guys in IndyCar, are we really going to put you in an F1 seat and you're going to outperform an eight-time Grand Prix winner who like is has looked like world championship material in the past uh, i don't he, know like well i don't know it's fine. yeah it's like, i think that's fair it's been sparkles I think, I think at red early, bull, yeah. early early days yeah like early days red bull yes recently yeah 14 and 16 yeah, yeah. yeah. 14 and 16 I mean. he did yeah. but but that, that sparkle soon soon wore off and that yeah, i think but, that was that was always the that was always the. I mean, again, like the. It's the easy argument to make, right? You've got to be in the right team with the right machinery to 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 shape. But but we know that there's some those drivers that sparkle in a different way and feel like you just know that they're destined to be world champion. And we, as we all know, there's only a certain handful of drivers that will ever be world champion. And I, as much as you know, I'm a massive fan of Daniel Ricciardo. I don't think he's one of those drivers. And I think we've seen the reason is, is that there's so many different factors that make a world champion, right? And one of those is the ability to adapt. And Ricardo has shown us time and time again, he does not have that ability to adapt. He's a very... Ooh, I think that's a bit harsh. I would say certainly with <laughs> yeah. McLaren, but he did get no, there Renault, with... No, no, yeah, well, Towards the end he, he did. He did get there with Renault. No, but, yeah. he, but again, and, he struggled. He also, really struggled. Nico Rosberg... Nico Rosberg, I think, a sing- I think you're right about multiple world champions. The real greats, you know, the Hamiltons, the Verstappens, you know, the Prost, Senna, Schumachers, they are exactly what you're describing. I think to get a, you, there, are, of course, uh, there are a few world champions on the list, which is probably a different podcast <laughs> that I would say aren't particularly adaptable. They took their moment. Nico Rosberg being the most recent one, I would suggest. And I don't Agreed. think that Ricardo is any worse a driver than Nico Rosberg. I do, however, think that you're probably right that he's getting towards the end of his career, which was part of the reason why I would take a punt of going to Aston Martin, because all he's going to do is stay at McLaren is get thumped again by Norris next year. And then his market value will be absolutely nothing. Whereas if he goes to Aston Martin for next year, I take Luke's point about it's not a good fit necessarily but then who's a better driver that they could go for I mean it may be that Luke's got some insight that they've already got somebody really amazing lined up but he makes a he he could make that jump now when he's still got a bit of life left in him see if there's something to build Aston because it's not going to happen at McLaren but so so who do we think who do we think is going to get that Aston seat then if if not if not Ricardo, <laughs> um, I'm I'm re- I'm really not sure. I I'm intrigued I ba- to I see. I back. Sorry, I I, I back Alonso move to. That's what I, I 
I think that's that's the interesting bit of this market. If you take Piastri out of all of this, Alonso's now got brilliant leverage to go to Alpine and say, right, I want X, Y, and Z because you need me, basically. Now, okay, if he, if he said, well, I might go to Aston, and we know there were talks with Aston when he made his comeback for 21 with Alpine, um, Alpine might say, well, actually, that's okay because we've got we've got <laughs> Piastri. We go for Piastri Ocon lineup. So it's not the same kind of battle that I think it would have been. But I think that, yeah, if I were Aston, I would be going after Alonso because I think, again, he brings that kind of like he brings that sparkle he brings that that sort of like world championship name but we know all the baggage that does come with Alonso as well oh yeah if I was Aston I'd be going after Alonso but if I were Alonso I wouldn't be going to Aston well there's exactly <laughs> that as well the- yeah <laughs> yeah so we'll see but I think that's going to be that's going to be the key seat um phew, yeah I think the next few weeks going to be decisive but I part of me just wonders whether it might I just wonder if it might actually become a seat that someone ends up with because they've kind of got no other options like even i mean even someone like nico hulkenberg he could be racing this year if he wanted <laughs> to but then he the was like bin. well no 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 but i'm, I'm get, let me make my point he he's saying that nico nico hulkenberg could be racing this year if he wanted to but he's not because he's like i want to spend time with my family and stuff like that his priorities have shifted so even he might be like actually if they really want me uh, do i really want it i don't know so it might become one of these seats where it's kind of whoever slips through the gaps in the market a little bit and they un- end up with it. But yeah, it's going to be central to silly season now. It does. It feels like it, it could go to Hulkenberg, but I would be so pissed if Hulkenberg gets that seat. Why? Just because I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of like comebacks because Hulkenberg fell out of favour for a reason, right? Like he just, he was a bit mid. Like he 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 put in some okay performances, but he was never gonna he reached he reached an absolute limit. And yeah, okay, he might be a steady pair of hands, but he's also not raced for three years. And okay, again, I know what everyone's gonna say, when he did come back, he was technically competitive, all things considered. But I just don't. I'm just not. I'm not. I'm not on that. I'm not. He doesn't excite you. I I can see. I can see that's that's why. But I just. It's it's a matter of who the options are. Like we can come up with a list and say who. Like for me, Hulkenberg shouldn't have fallen out of F1 anyway. But that's that's a separate thing. Given that some people who have been on the grid until quite recently. Um, But yeah, he probably wouldn't be my number one choice. But it wouldn't offend me if he was to find his way his way back. Yeah, if you oh, pick Nick Schumacher, Nick DeVries <laughs> for Hulkenberg, that's like, no, no, with greatest respect to DeVries and Schumacher, none of them are like set the world on fire options. No, and, that's true. I don't know, I, feel I, like, I, I, I don't know, like De, DeVries would be an interesting one for me. Would it? DeVries excites you yeah. more than Hulkenberg. Slightly. Is that, does what does that say about me? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> you like you like Formula E, which is which is a position, uh, and 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 I guess there is no chance of a deal. So for any of our listeners that don't know, uh, so Oscar Piastri, uh, an immense talent, won Formula Two in the Alpine program, sitting out this year uh, and not racing in another category or series, but will be in for- has to be in Formula One some somehow somewhere next year. But part of the Alpine program is there no chance of a deal between them and Aston? I guess the point either Alex or Kev made on Friday's podcast, which was, well, why would Alpine allow that? Because then uh, they would be loaning out their star to a competitor team. But that has happened in the past. Yeah, and it's... Yeah, and again, it's been it's looked like some time he's nailed on for Williams. But again, if you're Williams and you've got Logan Sargent coming through in F2 and he's your driver, you might think, actually, we'd rather back our own horse. So, yeah, lots of... I think this is going to be... This summer's going to be really, really interesting. We know it's meant to be summer shutdown and we'll all hopefully get some time off, but... I think it's going to be a lot of news coming. Please, so, uh, please, please, no driver <laughs> news in the summer shutdown. Please, I beg of you. I beg. Uh, anything else that anybody particularly wants to get off their chest today? Only if it's worth a shout out for Pierre Gasly going from the pit lane to, to, to 12th. I know that's not exactly the greatest drive of all time, but yeah, it's got to be pretty, when you know you're not in the best car anyway, starting from the from the pit lane, oh crikey, this is going to be a long afternoon, but kept plugging away. He hasn't had a great run of races recently, so fair fair play to him, I think. <laughs> yeah, and that Alfa Tauri since the update, 
it's not giving the step forward they want and they're still he, they're still really confused by it like Gasly is just like he was so upbeat on Friday in France then come qualifying was like it just feels like a different car so they've got a lot of work so it's been a real long pointless run for them but I think that yeah I think I agree with that I think yeah that was a pretty good thing uh, I agree with that I think that was a pretty good recovery from from Gasly and I, I again this midfield fight is just so close like even Aston are slowly sort of chipping away at it and I thought the Vettel's drive was was fantastic again to fight back up to to 10th place so mm. really that sort of midfield sort of lower half of the order I think with all due respect with the exception of Williams I think that it's actually going to be really really close for the rest of the season which is pretty exciting as long as Sonoda stops spinning and Oh, Yuki. He, fin- he finished uh, oh. one minute behind Latifi. One wow. minute. That's just not, that's just not on. Like, I think he, he really needs to, he needs to take the summer break and, and maybe get, get into the gym again and just kind of like, just, fro- just knuckle down because we know like he's, he, he's so explosive as a driver. He has moments of brilliance and then moments of just sheer stupidity that you're just like, please, for the love of God, get it together. Um, yeah. That just sounds like a, could uh, Mr. Sunoda please report to Jess in detention? Please report to <laughs> Jess in detention. Thank you. Yeah maybe, uh, yeah, maybe maybe I need to give him a talking to, I don't know. <laughs> Oh, I want to do a Jess, Jess rates the drivers, but just in 10 second bursts, like for the first part of the season, that'd be brilliant. Oh yeah, let's do it. Uh, I feel like that's a great place to end uh, today. But dear listener, we want to hear from you. Podcast at autosport.com is our email address. Uh, we'll definitely be reading out your feedback over this, the, the summer break. Uh, podcast at autosport.com is our email. Stay in touch with these guys that you listen to all the time and read their work online and watch the videos um, on their social channels. And there is still going to be so much to talk about over uh, the break, whether it is silly season, whether it is engine regulations, whether it's those names from Volkswagen Group, the Audis and Porsches. There's going to be stuff to talk about with with uh, all those things over the next few weeks, perhaps during the summer break as well. So plenty of reasons to stay on autosport.com. Uh, but I'll stop now because it's getting late and Kev has a very early start to, you know, put a magazine together. Uh, our auto- Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sport Magazine out next Thursday, which I'm sure you'll want to pick up. Thank you very much for listening to the Autosport podcast today, and we'll see you soon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, what's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you've got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text CLAY to 203203. Text CLAY to 203203. Or go to bosley.com. That's bosley.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.